I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Happy Mama Movement podcast. I'm Amy Taylor-Kabaz. I would like to start by acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on which this podcast is recorded as the traditional custodians of this land and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. And as this podcast is dedicated to the wisdom and knowledge of motherhood, I would like to acknowledge the mothers of this land, the elders, their wisdom, their knowing and my own elders and teachers. Welcome to the Happy Mama Movement podcast. I'm Amy Taylor-Kabaz, mama, journalist, coach, and founder of Mama Rising. This podcast is a space of community and collaboration. We gather stories of matrescence, motherhood, womanhood, and change told by our Mama Rising coaches and mothers around the globe in the knowing that through our stories, we can begin to heal and change the way the world sees, values and supports mothers everywhere. So, welcome to the Happy Mama Movement. Welcome back, mamas. So often over the last few years, as I speak to women around the world about matrescence and motherhood, I'm amazed at how similar some of our challenges can be. No matter where you are in the world, there's a thread of matrescence that connects us and helps us understand each other and I hope unifies us as women, as mothers, as parents in this desire to do it differently. But also on this podcast, I want to always explore the differences too because it does matter where you live access to services that you might have, your cultural experience, the patriarchal experience around you, your colour of your skin, gender, identity, so many layers to this experience of matrescence. And going forward, I want to make sure that we are always both united in our similarities of what we desire for each other in support of motherhood but also really aware of our differences. Today, I want to introduce you to a phenomenal activist, mother, former journalist, and founder of Motherland, Stephanie Trefuey. Steph was a journalist in Sydney and found herself in rural Australia, Tasmania, with a six-month-old and in a way crash landed into isolation during the biggest transition of her life, matrescence. In this conversation, she shares beautifully and vulnerably vulnerably, her own experiences of motherhood and how hard and challenging she's found it, but also 
the activism that it has awakened in her to make sure that we support rural and regional mothers differently. And we're all aware of how beautiful it is to live on the land, but also how hard it is as new as a new mother. Please listen to this interview, but just note that about three quarters of the way through, my computer completely crashed for about 24 hours. And so that means that you will hear me reset the interview towards the end. Everything that Steph and I have spoken about was so powerful, I didn't want to start again. So I just picked up where we left off and finished the conversation. It's so worth it. Enjoy. to the Happy Mama Movement podcast. Thank you for creating time in your farm life and the amazing work that you do with Motherland to jump on this conversation with me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you, Amy. I am too. There's so many things that I want to explore with you about your personal experience of motherhood and matrescence, but also for all of us to understand a little more about the unique experience of becoming a mother and being a mama on the land but first let's start with you personally so did you grow up in regional Australia on the farm? Oh no Amy I did not <laughs> um, I I grew up um, in Sydney um, yeah, yeah I'm a Sydney, Sydney girl well I was a Sydney girl through and through I would definitely say I've been converted to a country girl but yeah I grew up in the city so I'm a long way from what used to be home and a long way from the life that I thought I'd be living, to be honest. And so how did that happen? Tell us the story about how you ended up in this beautiful experience. Cut a long story short, I was a TV reporter working for Channel 7, Channel 9 around the country and I was working in Rockhampton in central Queensland. It was a really slow news day and I interviewed my future husband, um, he's a farmer and he was a guest speaker at an event up there and yeah that's the universe works in funny ways but I interviewed him and we kept in touch and fast forward really a few months later yeah I uh, I got myself a boyfriend as well <laughs> so yeah fell in love with a farmer. Wow. And well, then when motherhood came along what was that experience like? I would imagine even just moving from the city to a regional remote area on its own as a new wife is a whole new identity and then along comes motherhood as well. Yeah you know I had my first child we were still living in Melbourne at the time he was six months old when we moved to Tasmania to live on the land but already motherhood for anyone listening that you've had kids in the city whether it's the city or the country it is a baptism of fire and I struggled so much so much of my identity was wrapped up in my career it was almost like that's who I was. And so all of a sudden with this little baby, I didn't know who I was anymore because I wasn't Steph anymore. I, I was looking after this child that wouldn't sleep. He was very colicky. He'd scream for hours on end every day. I had no idea what I was doing. And I just remember feeling all this resentment about how much my life had changed overnight. Yet my husband continued to kind of go about his life. He was obviously very supportive and very much in the thick of it with me. But the reality is Monday to Friday, he was out the door working. And 
the front door would close and I just burst into tears because I just thought he was so lucky to be free and I really struggled with my mental health but I never talked about it in Melbourne because I just put up and I shut up because society was telling me that motherhood was you know the greatest gift of all and I thought I just had to cop it and be grateful and so I really battled my way through that that first you know period but I did have a mother's group I had a beautiful group of women in Melbourne who I started to connect with have coffee every week chat about the hard stuff I started to open up but just as I started to open up to them we left Melbourne and we got on the Spirit of Tasmania boat and we took our baby and our two blue healers and we made the move to rural Tasmania. Sam is a a country boy through and through. It's in his blood. He wanted to come home and start our own business together on the land. And so, yeah, overnight I literally lost my village. Um, It was a very abrupt, yeah, it was a very abrupt initiation into life on the land with a child as well. It was really hard. That's a huge decision to make at just six months of being a new mother and and a new family. Wow. Can you remember what it was like on that spirit of Tasmania? I was excited, Amy. I had no idea what awaited me. I've talked about this quite a bit, but I literally, the only preparation I did for Life on the Land was watch Farmer Wants a Wife. That's all I did. And that painted such a romanticized view of what it would be like to be on the land and I had no idea what it was really going to be like with a baby so I went into it really excited and I was so sick of the rat race in the city I was actually really craving to slow down and to to work for ourselves not to work for someone else and and then you know the honeymoon phase wore off you know a week or two in Sam was just flat out working seven days a week as so many farmers do And I was just, again, alone with a baby and Sam was working even harder than he was working in the city. He wasn't around and I was just alone, no family here, no friends here, no mother's groups. I could only walk around the farm. I couldn't walk up and grab a coffee anywhere. And, yeah, I just I had this really angry moment where I just thought, if they say it takes a village to raise a child, where the hell is mine? And that was the moment where Steph kind of decided, okay, I can either continue down this route of, really bad postnatal depression and suffering in silence or I can try and do something about it and I couldn't find any support for rural mums I couldn't find a platform that shared their stories my friends in the city some of them had just started to have their kids too but chalk and cheese raising kids on the land to what they were going through and I just felt so alone and so that's where the idea for motherland was born it was because of my own struggles I really believe that adversity fuels innovation and I, I really thank God that through my storytelling background as a journalist that I was able to connect the dots and figure out that, okay, I can create something for rural mums and use my skills as a storyteller together with my new identity as a mum to help others as well as myself. And, you know, Motherland's only just under four years old and it's really been my third baby. Like I have grown up with it. It has saved me in so many ways because I was really not in a good way. So it's been a big four years, Amy. It feels like 40, but it's only been four years here. Oh, it's so inspiring. It makes me emotional, that moment of walking on the land and saying, okay, I, it's almost, you know, to paraphrase, it's almost like this is either going to break me or make me. And we have those moments. We have those sort of fork in the roads, don't we, where we think, where we have to decide, we have to choose, what is this going to mean to me? And thank goodness because of your background as a journalist and that identity. But I wonder how 
important it was also to bring that identity of that journalist back into your life again through Motherland because so often we feel like we leave that part of ourselves behind. And what I think I can hear is that not only was this about telling rural mothers' stories and finding a village finally and creating a village for others, but it also allowed you to reclaim that part of yourself a little as well Absolutely. No one talks about the intense grief that can come with becoming a mum. Not everyone experiences it, but those that do, it's like a death. And I feel like it was like the death of me. And I felt so guilty because I felt so guilty because I had this beautiful child and I just feel like he didn't deserve me because it's not that I didn't want him, but I just didn't want all the stuff and the shit that comes with it that I wasn't prepared for. And so, yeah, like to answer your question, I was able to tap into a bit of the old Steph, but what's beautiful is I've been able to then bring new Steph along, mum Steph, and my kids have then ironically, you know, they've broken me, but they've put me back together through this charity and this organisation that I've built. So it's still very messy it's all intertwined, but I've been able to keep part of me, which was storyteller Steph. I am a storyteller. I feel like, you know, as humans, we evolve through storytelling. Storytelling can heal. It's healed me and I know it's healing others through the work that I do. So yeah, it's been a big journey to go from so much resentment to then using that, I guess, the toughest time of my life to actually create something that's then become the best part of my life because I finally feel like I'm where I'm meant to be, like job-wise, you know, like career-wise. Yes. My my kids are my career because without them I wouldn't do this work and it's just so much more fulfilling than any other job I've ever had and to have them along for the ride is just so special and it's still hard. Life's not all sunshine and roses. But, yeah, I've kind of muddled my way through and it's been a pretty epic journey. And I think it's also really important for us to recognise that although there's elements of universality, if that's the word, with matrescence, there's an experience of motherhood that no matter where you are or who you are is similar and yet there's also deeply, deeply unique differences that when they're not acknowledged can actually make that isolation and pain even harder. Um, you know, obviously some minority groups, cultural groups, but I would imagine that experience of contacting your friends back in the city and and that gap between your reality and theirs must have been huge and that's what you're now able to to close with Motherland. It, it's, it is a very different experience in a lot of ways, isn't it? It is, and sometimes the challenges that we face on the land, you can't help it, you know, I can't fix it but just by verbalising it and having other rural mums say, yeah, me too, that's been healing in itself, even though there's not always a solution. You know, what I wasn't prepared for and the best way to sum it up is when I married a farmer, I married the land as well. And it is so consuming. It's seven days a week. It's, there is so, there's so much, I guess, I call it brutal and beautiful at the same time. You know, at the moment, my husband's just going through a really tough time. He's working his guts out. Things are, you know, are not that easy seasonally. We've had some ups and downs and we're only four years in, you know, what Mother Na- Mother Nature's boss and Mother Nature can dictate 
the very fiber of your household, you know, just in terms of emotions and what's happening. And there's just so much that I wasn't prepared for, you know, there's no maternity leave or paternity leave. I mean, hilarious. Like Sam was back at work a day after I gave birth to my second child because the farm comes first in a lot of ways. It sounds brutal, but that's the honest truth. You've got animals to keep alive. You've got properties to run. You're often low on labor and resources. And and yeah, it's, so it is hard. And I just wasn't prepared for that because motherhood is consuming and farming is consuming. So it's sort of like the perfect storm. And then you layer in, you know, things like not, you know, inadequate resources. So no mother's groups or, you know, having to a psychologist, you know, the wait lists that can happen in rural Australia, just the extra complexities of life on the land and the isolation from people and services just can make it really hard for mums who are already off to a rocky start. Um, And I think that my rocky start in Melbourne was cushioned by the fact that I had a mother's group. I had my family, my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. I had my colleagues, my former colleagues and friends, but I kind of lost that village and support network when we moved here. And some women grow up on the land. They don't, they still don't have that support network all the time, you know, babysitting services, things like just, just taking a break. Like, the amount of times I've just thought, oh, my God, I wish my mum could just come over for one hour. You know, I remember having really bad gastro, Sam and I, and there was no one here to help. It was literally like we were just tag teaming in the toilet. There was no Uber Eats. I miss that. There was no Uber Eats. There was no mum or mother-in-law to call for help. There was no babysitter that would come, you know, so it is hard. Um, you get used to it, but that's the reality of it. And we chose this life and we continue to choose it every day. Um, and there's so much you know, there's so much power behind and I love this life, but it is hard, especially as a mum, particularly in that matrescence, that early matrescence journey when there is so much Mm. going on emotionally as well as the external factors on a farm, it can be really hard. Oh, it actually, um, yes, I felt that in my body and I haven't experienced it, but just the way you were describing it. I mean, I remember in my early first few months of of motherhood and being in a really dark place as well and the only thing that would get me through some days Steph was throwing the baby not literally throwing the baby but putting the baby in the pram and just walking around my neighborhood walking past the cafe just being around other sounds other noises like I didn't feel like I was alone didn't necessarily catch up with anybody but it was just this sense of I need to go and find some other people to be okay right now and so and then I think about some of the other mamas that I've heard over the years you know even just going to the gym and putting the baby in the childcare in the creche while they went on the treadmill for half an hour like all these little things that I think I don't I don't I hope we don't take for granted but to hear you um so beautifully point out what it would feel like to not even have that um mm. I really I could I can really feel that in my body that's a lot of isolation yeah it, it is a lot and you know I am in Tasmania and Tasmania is not that remote you know some of the women I work with live you know in remote Australia you know on thousands hundreds of thousands of acres in the middle of the Northern Territory and so but you know isolation doesn't discriminate you can be lonely in the city or you can be lonely in the country I speak yes. to women who are on stations that are literally, to me, it's like the Sahara Desert and they are happy. But then there's women who I work with in Tassie. You know, I'm only 15 minutes away from a small local town, um, but I felt so isolated. So, you know, it depends on the experience and the village that you have. And 
you know, for me, like it has been really hard, you know, like I had two under two, it was in the pandemic and, you know, I couldn't like to go anywhere. I had to get in the car, you know, and I know any mums listening know what it's like where you're so tired to pack a nappy bag, to get two kids in the car, a toddler and a newborn, just to drive to town, to go to a park. Like I just, I just wanted to walk. And so I would walk, but I was walking on my farm with no people. Right. And yes, I could have made the effort in hindsight, but when you're in the thick of it, when you're so messy and so tired, I just, it was easier to stay home. And I think as mums, we actually isolate ourselves um, in some ways and it can be really hard to break through that. But at the time I, yeah, I felt really alone and I couldn't go to the gym, as you said, and I still can't like the gym in town, the classes they run at like 7am. I can't go to that. My, my husband's like out the door at 7.30 for work. Like the farm doesn't wait. I can't, there's no one to, to manage the kids. There's no crash. So, and I, again, I'm not that remote compared to some of the women. So yeah, it is, it is first world problems. Like I'm also very aware of that, but you know, we're a product of our environment. And if we don't have that village or support service, it can make our journeys even harder. But I'm also a big believer because I have done a fair bit of, you know, victimizing myself in the early years. Like I'm a big believer that you have to save yourself and that no one is coming to save you. Um, and that's been a huge lesson for me because I have so many times just despised this life and whinged about the lack of services and just found it so hard. But I only started to get better once I started to A, understand matrescence and B, actually save myself because it's like I was just waiting, like in this pool of self-pity for what, I don't know. Um, but it took kind of rock bottom to then, you know, starting to realise like it's only me. It's not up to my husband. It's not up to my kids or my friends or anyone else to help me be happy. That is solely my responsibility. And it's still a journey. You know, I'm still trying to work on myself as much as I can when I get the time um, and when life allows for it. But, you know, that's been a big lesson, I think. Yes. And I also think that, um, you know, there so many people ask me, Steph, over the years, like, is there a way to avoid the crash sometimes of that matrescence experience? Like if we got in early enough and spoke to the teenagers and laid the land like we do with adolescents, you know, could we make this less of a cracking open, breaking down to be remade experience? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that in a moment. But my thought is always, I think we can do better in terms of understanding what might be coming. I absolutely think that that, and like we do, I mean, I have a teenager with incredible mental health challenges at the moment and the resources around that, the understanding of adolescence, the understanding of what that's going on, the things that I can plug into are so much better than anything that mothers have access to, to be honest. So I think we can do that part a lot better. But I also wonder whether the growth, like what you've found yourself in yourself, what you've created from this, the, the life that you're now curating, I wonder if it comes from that breaking sometimes. What do you think? It does. And I think that if I didn't break, then Motherland wouldn't exist and that's an awful thought. But at the same time, the selfish part of me is like, well, I kind of wish I didn't break, right? Um, so, but, you know, I'm through it. I mean, to answer like your initial kind of question and talking about can anything prepare us, 
I mean, in some ways, no. Like one of my best friends is pregnant with her first and she's got the baby shower. And I said, Joe, for God's sake, start telling people what you actually might need. Otherwise, she's going to get more blankets and all this crap that you don't need. Like, can you put the friends in Sydney on a cooking roster? Can you get, you know, Lara's going to come over in week one and two and she's going to bring over lasagnas and then, you know, Camilla's going to, you know, can you actually set this up? Because that's what Sam and I kind of needed is in hindsight, all the presents were for nothing. It would have been that support of a village, someone to cook for us, clean for us, whatever. But I, I've been thinking about this a lot over my own journeys. I wish there was some way to have a mandatory matrescence course before you gave birth and maybe before. Yes. And, you know, on that, even though everything's good in hindsight, like if someone said to me when I was pregnant, X, Y, and Z, I probably would have rolled their eyes. I'm like, oh, yeah, my journey will be different or my kids will be different, whatever. But it depends how you phrase it. You know, if, it's almost like if someone said to me, who are you now? What is your identity now? What do you value the most about yourself? What's important to you? What makes you you? How are you going to feel that looking at this list when that goes, that goes, that goes, that goes? There was no reflection on 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 who I was and then who I would become. It was just, it was just ad hoc. It just happened and no one prepared me for it. And I didn't prepare myself. I was too busy reading, you know, hospital birth plans for God's sake. Like, you know, birth, super important, very important, especially if you've got birth trauma that can affect your journey. But, you know, I, I've been very lucky with my births and I spent all this time preparing for that day and not what would happen next. So I, I, I yes, there is absolutely space for some sort of education for women who are open to it because I certainly needed it and it hit me like a ton of bricks and there needs to be something. There is so the social media stuff is so much on like the baby shower and the nursery and oh we're still seeing it. We're still here talking about postnatal depression, but we're still seeing all this bullshit of the perfect motherhood journey and all the stuff that does not matter. Like it does not matter. Your your with all due respect, your baby shower does not matter. What matters is other people at your baby shower, how they're going to show up for you or have you told them how you need them to show up? People aren't psychic. They need to be told. And I wish I had told my friends some of the tools that they could use to help me beyond here's another blanket for the baby or here's another outfit that they're going to never wear because you've been given all this stuff and they've grown out of it. Like it's just so superficial and shallow in so many ways still. Um, and so, yeah, I am wary of, I've now become one of those like old, old women. Cause I'm 34. I'm so old, but you know, those old women that try to talk to pregnant women be like, right, have you got your village? You know, it's like, Steph, shut up. Just let them have their baby shower. But <laughs> I don't know. I just, there's all this stuff that I wish I knew. And it's, and it's just a feeling. It's just this self-reflection that we don't do because we're so busy. We're in such a busy society. Even when we're pregnant, we're working up until we're 36 weeks pregnant. Who's got time for self-reflection? And I think that's where we've got it all wrong in so many ways. So don't get me started on that. We're parenting and just in such an individualistic culture. And it's, um, yeah, I really believe we've got it wrong and we're letting mums down. Sorry for the rant. So I wanted to ask you, when you think about preparing for rural motherhood, you know, going from Melbourne to Tasmania with just a six-month-old, and now with all of the enormous community that you're growing around Australia, what do you think they should know or what would you like to tell women and mothers in regional and remote areas that live on the land about becoming a mother and what you really need? Yeah, I think if anything it would be do your own village audit and by that I mean 
figure out what support you have available to you, but more importantly, what are the gaps? So for rural mums living geographically isolated, how far away is your nearest mother's group? Do you have access to one? If you can't access one physically, what remote services, online services are available to you, like Motherland Village? Um, Are there psychological support services in your local town? What are those kind of wait lists like? What are you going to do if you do struggle mentally? Do you wait until you realise it's too hard to find help locally like I did? Or do you, I guess, be proactive and say, if I struggle, I know that I've got X, Y and Z, these support services or the Gidget Foundation or whatever it might be. Um, I think it's about being proactive from a village point of view. Yes, there's a physical village, family, friends who can babysit, who can cook for you, but your own emotional well-being, you don't know how you are going to feel through this transition you might have the best experience ever and not need any extra support or you could really, really struggle and and end up in a bad place. That's the reality of motherhood. It's a little bit like Russian roulette. You don't know what you're going to get. And so for me, I did none of that. I didn't look at my life and audit it in any way in relation to my own personal happiness and well-being as well as my child. It was just going in it and winging it. And you can't wing this necessarily. I think you need to be prepared that... You need to support yourself uh, and put yourself in the best position possible to navigate this amazing transition so then you can enjoy what's left to enjoy. And I think I missed out on a lot of happy moments because I was so busy scrambling for a village and support and I'd left it too late because I didn't think about this stuff when I was pregnant or even before falling pregnant. So, yeah, I think take, take an audit of your life, your village, especially when you live rurally and remotely because you don't have the luxury of all the same services at your fingertips that you might have in the city. So, yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And so what does Motherland provide? So, yeah, Motherland is a national charity and, you know, we support rural mums through so many ways. First and foremost, through our podcast, which tells really real and raw stories of motherhood by women on the land, Um, and that has had over 200 Uh, episodes, over 750,000 downloads. It's just grown and grown because as I said, I think in our earlier conversation, humans are storytellers and we can learn so much from each other. So that has reduced isolation in itself. And then off the back of that, Motherland Village, which is Australia's first online rural mothers group program, we've connected over 200 mums to their own personalised support group through our six-week program. And really importantly, it's giving some women a second chance in a mothers group because we support rural mums with children aged zero to three four to 10 and 11 to 18. So there are women coming through our program with teenagers who are like, I've never had a mother's group before, or I want to do over or whatever it might be. And they need support because the challenges don't disappear when your kids are out of nappies. They just change (laughs) and evolve. And you would know that. And you would know that our matrescence journey is not something that ends when kids are out of nappies. It's an entire lifetime of being a mum. So I'm really proud of that program in particular. We have a scholarship fund to support women through that program who are suffering financially through financial hardship. Um, We've got our big national conference in Tasmania in March, which will be Australia's biggest rural mothers group, which you will be at, you are speaking at, Amy, which we are so pumped for. Um, And it is all about reducing that social isolation and we are just getting started. There is so much more I want to do. We're, we're about to start work on building a resource hub, an online resource hub for rural mums, bringing, I guess, all those services and referral networks to one spot for women who are struggling to find a service, whether it's for their emotional well-being or physical well-being. So we're, we're trying to do what we can to close the gap um, and complement our healthcare system. We're not a replacement for midwives. We don't 
offer any healthcare advice. We are, I guess, that referral channel, but more of that connection-based channel where we help women feel less alone through building meaningful connections with each other because social isolation is a leading health risk factor. We know, you know, physically, mentally, it's, you know, almost as bad as smoking a a pack of cigarettes a day or something I read in a study somewhere. Um, We have an isolation epidemic and a loneliness epidemic, and that doesn't discriminate women in the city or the country. But I guess my job, you can't be everything to everyone. My job is to focus on our farming women, our women on the land. And and that's what Motherland's doing is trying to do our bit. And as I said, we're just getting started. Wow. I love that you have a mother's group for those women with older children as well. Just quickly, I think one of the, there are a lot of things that I, you know, will get on my soapbox about, but one of them is definitely this Um, important understanding that matrescence is not just a postnatal first 12 months, first three years kind of um, experience. It's like saying to my teenager who just turned 16 last week, oh, well, you're done now. So, you know, you can stop all of that uncertainty and hormonal unbalance and questioning the world and feeling like you don't know who you are because you've already been doing it for three years. So that's enough now. Um, I feel deeply about that as well, especially with those different stages of motherhood, because on the land, again, they would be different challenges of having teenagers on the land and on farms and in rural areas. So I love that you have spaces for women to, to continue to reach out because mothers need mothers. We need each other to get through these different stages of matrescence and motherhood. So amazing. The last thing I wanted to ask you is I wonder on reflection if you could share with us obviously this experience of becoming a rural mother and a mother overall has really gone hand in hand and has brought so many challenges and big transformations within yourself but the the joys and the privilege of raising children and being a mother on the land. I wonder if you could share for us listening about what that has been like as well to finish. Yeah, it's so funny because I never imagined myself living on a farm and now I can never imagine myself living anywhere but a farm. I can't imagine living in a city ever again. And I, as I said, was born and raised in Sydney. No disrespect to all my family and friends there. I love visiting, but I have found, I guess, this sort of serenity that we have here. We are so lucky. There is no rat race. You really run your own race here. Obviously life is busy. The farm is relentless and it is tough, but we have this freedom here to live where we work and work where we live, but not in a COVID lockdown <laughs> kind of way, <laughs> in a really in a really beautiful, spacious, healthy way. And, you know, I don't have to leave the farm. If I'm having a tough day, you know, I used to be really isolated by it, but now I don't have to jump in the car. I don't feel that pressure. The kids can just run wild and feral. They've got hundreds of acres here. Um, they're just these little animals. And as they should be, you know, I really believe that there yeah. is so much for for children and parents to spend more time outdoors and and we don't do enough of it, particularly in the cities. So that freedom, you know, my husband, he works from home technically, but I don't often see him during the day, but there are those really beautiful moments where he'll say, Hey, I'm jumping in the tractor. I can take the kids. And that moment where they get to go to work with their dad and learn. And my son just seeing his appreciation of nature, you know, he walks outside and he's been doing it since he was two and a half. He'll look outside and he'll be like, 
geez, it's a beautiful day today, mum. And look at that kookaburra. And he just notices these things because we don't do a lot of screen time. We we don't do a lot of indoor time, particularly through the warmer months. And and they're just out there just being and, and being with nature and they slow me down. Um, and, you know, I, I read somewhere there's this beautiful quote that, you know, sometimes mums find it frustrating and dads that their children slow them down. But that's kind of the point. And <laughs> they, teach you, they teach you something. And, and so I think when I got here, I was still like, go, 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 go. And I was fighting it. I was fighting this handbrake that motherhood had put on my life and I resented it. And I don't like handbrakes. I don't like being forced to slow down. Um, and I still grapple with it. But what I'm learning now is when my son says, like he said to me yesterday, I was in the middle of a busy work day and he's only in daycare one day a week. So, you know, he's home six days and he's like, mum, let's go on a picnic up into the bull paddock, which is where the paddock, we call it the bull paddock. And I was like, oh, I can't. And I was like, no, yes, I'm going to do that. And so we got some fruit and he took me up on this walk and we just sat on top of the farm with the most beautiful view. And I just thought, how lucky am I? to do the work that I do, to work from home, to grow this charity, to be my own boss, but to also still share this with my kids in such a meaningful way that connects me outside of my little laptop um, and my laptop existence. So there are so many beautiful parts of farming. It's, it's an addictive lifestyle. I think once you've got the taste for it, it's very hard to imagine ever giving it up for anything else. I mean, all the money in the world, you could buy me you could buy me, honestly, Amy, a $50 million mansion on Sydney Harbour tomorrow. I, I would zero interest, um, zero interest. And I never, ever thought I'd say that. Anyone who knows me from my former life would be like, oh, my God, what's happened to Steph? Um, but it's grounded me and life's short. And, yeah, the farm life has given me one hell of a ride, but I wouldn't change it for anything. Uh, you've actually made me emotional the way you've described that, Steph. Thank you so much. I mean, not only do I now contemplate <laughs> wanting to go regional or rural, but even just the way you've described that handbrake that motherhood can bring, the resentment of it, and yet the gift of it. And whether we're in the city or not, we can see those moments where we can slow down and the gift that that brings. But also thank you so much for sharing your story and the work that you do with Motherland. It has been such a blessing to connect with you and so inspiring to hear how you've turned your story into a story that connects with so many others. So thank you so much. And I am so looking forward to being at the event in March in Tasmania next year. I am um, incredibly honoured to have been invited and can't wait to meet you in person. Thank you. We are so excited to have you, Amy. Thank you so much. I'll see you soon. I know. See you. So everybody, if you go into the show notes, not only is uh, all the details around Mother Motherland and Motherland Village, but also the event in 2024, I know that the tickets are almost sold out. So depending on when you are listening to this, have a look to see if you can join Steph and myself and hundreds of others from around the country so thank you again Steph thanks Amy thank you
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.